Welcome to the Taproot Podcast with Lauren and Lon, a space to reconnect with the source of your passion for education and be replenished. Okay, so episode three, I think. Numero it seems tres. Like we, it seems like we're professionals by this point. Um, yeah. So on today's episode... On today's episode, we actually want to talk about creativity and innovation. And so with that goes our theme check-in question. And our question today that we have is, uh, do you consider yourself to be a creative person, Lauren? Well, you know what? Years ago, I would have said no. Uh, Because I always thought of creativity as being something like artistic, right? Like, can I draw? Can I play a musical instrument? Um, Can I write poetry? Whatever. And the funny part is I can do some of those things and I still would say no, no. And I think it's because I've always had this like really high expectation for some sort of artistic endeavor and that means that you're creative. Um, But then as I got older, I realized that, yeah, I'm very creative. It's just not in in ways that necessarily we think of as creative. Like I can, um, I can design lesson plans. I can create learning experiences. I can um, arrange furniture and put pictures on a wall in a way that I like. And there's a whole, of course I'm creative. Of course I am. It was just weird how I was locked into this one way of thinking of creativity when, you know, once you kind of let that go, you can see, oh my gosh, there's all kinds of things that I do um, that would be considered creative. Um, I don't think that that's weird that you thought that. I think many people think that. Yeah. There is this social picture. I know this, there's this social um, understanding of what it means to be creative. And typically the things that pop up in your mind are, are those things that you said. And I think that I was the same way until I realized oh. that you know, I might not be artistic. I mean, that's only one kind of creativity. But for me, I, I do consider myself a creative person because, you know, especially when there's a problem to be solved. um, I've found that in those moments, I've been able to come up with some pretty interesting ideas. And so that is creativity, right? Solving a problem. Yes, absolutely. It's one of my favorite things to do, to be honest. I like problem solving. I mean, as long as it's not math. (laughs) Well, because creativity is about creating, right? And that doesn't need to be art. It doesn't need to be music. Right. So you can create, many people create in their professions. Right. So yeah, being creative is just a natural part of being a human. Um, All humans are creative. It's just a matter of like, do we realize it? Do we tap into it? And um, as I was thinking about this um, idea of creativity, I came across this text because, you know, hashtag nerd. Um, <laughs> I always like to find interesting articles or books um, that get my thinking going on these topics. And I found this article called uh, Creative Co- Collaboration is What Humans Do Best. And I thought, you know, that's so true because um, I'm an, I'm a creative individual. It would only make sense that working together with other people would just enhance that creativity, um, and help create things even bigger than maybe what I had thought of on my own, um, which, you know, is what we call synergy. 
And so I really liked um, a lot of the ideas that came forth in this text. One of the quotes that I pulled out from it was, um, many humans have become convinced that we are individually powerless and have forgotten what creativity is and how its spark resides in all of us. And that just reminded me about how a lot of us have misunderstandings that we're not creative when the truth is, yes, we absolutely are. We were born that way. Yeah, I think that this really narrow view of what creativity actually is, um, as we were discussing earlier, prevents people from seeing themselves in that way. But what's, I think, more interesting is this idea that uh, creativity is actually not about a single person. Oftentimes when we think about, let's say, that scientist or that – I just think about scientists because, you know, science teacher. Nerd. but. You know, but even with like a science, like a science breakthrough, right? People often attribute it to that one person, but in order for that person to have that breakthrough, they had to build upon so many other scientists' oh, yeah. ideas that came before them, right? Yes. And and so it's never it's never an effort of them. We because we have this culture where we like to, you know, it's like a celebrity culture where right. we like to like put everything on one person. But the truth is that in order for that moment to have been reached, it required years and years and years and years of research from other people who were also doing the work and sparked the ideas of that person yeah. who gets the credit, right? And not only that, like the whole team that was around that person, right? Like all the fellow scientists and all the assistants and, you know, their family supporting them, et cetera. There were a whole bunch of people um, that contributed uh, to this person having this aha moment. So they were never alone in the process. Yeah, I heard that uh, new ideas as uh, being described this way, and I thought it made a lot of sense that it's like a swelling tsunami, right? It starts way out in the ocean, you know, I mean, it could be picked up, but it starts, you know, swelling just be below the surface. Yeah. And it, as it travels miles and miles, it builds up over time. And of course, what we experience is the crashing down of the tsunami, right? right. When that idea becomes revolutionary, when it becomes like when the social consciousness becomes aware that this is a revolutionary idea, like that's what we experience, but we don't necessarily give very much credit to, well, in order for that to have happened, well, there was all this buildup. And so right. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's really our, true. Our, our species, yeah, our species has depended on working together. And so there was a quote from the text that I really liked that I think just sums it up is that creativity emerges from the interconnectedness of ideas, experience, and imagination. And it's never any one thing. It's a network of, of people, a network of ideas that really work together to solve big problems. Right. And that's how, I mean, when there is a big problem, it's going to take all of us to come together to figure out how to solve it. And I think that that's a great segue into the next part of our podcast. Agreed. All right. So for today's podcast, we actually wanted to have a conversation about creativity and innovation. With the transition to distance learning, there was a real Herculean effort on the part of many folks at our district. And so today on our third podcast, we have a special guest for you, Dr. Dan Winters. He's going to go ahead and introduce himself now. So who are you? Yeah, I'm all, yeah the crowd goes wild. I love that. Thank you. Lon, it's good to talk to you both this morning. And I'm uh, the director of uh, EdTech and director of research and evaluation in Sweetwater. As my second stint in Sweetwater, I began as an English teacher in 
1987, also known as the 20th century. English teacher <laughs> for the yes. win. Yes. And uh, so I spent a few years in Chula Vista as a principal at Chula Vista Elementary and came back in uh, 2015 to Sweetwater in my current role. Awesome. So uh, we had some questions for you about just how that process of transitioning to distance learning happened. Um, I was not necessarily part of the behind the scenes team on that, but from what I experienced as on relatively as an outsider, it felt really smooth or it felt very thoughtful how the whole process happened. And so Lauren and I wanted to just chat with you about, you know, what was required to make that happen? How, you know, what were some of the, the challenges and struggles and, you know, what did you learn um, about people? And so I know that's a lot of questions. So we'll just start with one. So the first one would be, uh, what were your first thoughts uh, when you realized we would have to move to distance learning? Yeah, so I, I'm trying to think back to that uh, time. And and it's hard to articulate what my first thoughts were. I can remember what we did. And it was absolutely, Herculean is a good word, Um and it was a team effort from the start. We really had a lot of different voices that we brought to the table, really led by Anna Maria Alvarez, the Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning, kind of gathering the folks who um, were in curriculum and instruction, but even outside of that department, uh, we, we quickly reached out to SPED uh, and Equity and Culture, IT, HR. I, I mean, we had to reach out to all parts of the organization to think about what had to happen. And so the first step that I recall is that we really wanted to be clear on what the goals were before we jumped into uh, doing things. So uh, I know when we met once with some teachers uh, from the, from our union, the SEA, they were like, just tell us what the goals are and we're going to help you make it happen. Right. So they really were, were gung ho to do that. And, and, and so that's where we began. We came up with a, a vision based on our current district mission and vision and and really articulated three goals uh, that were going to guide the work. Uh, and those goals were, one, beginning with uh, relationships and checking in. We just want to know that social-emotional learning has been a focus in this district and it had to be the first and primary goal of this work. Um, then second uh, would be enrichment-type uh, activities, uh, followed third by really the continuity of learning. So we knew learning would be a part of it, but it wasn't going to be our initial emphasis. So with those three goals in mind, we then kind of got to work and, and the process really was somewhat of an accordion process. We had a small team that consisted of the leadership and teaching and learning and the TOSAs. And then we constantly reached out to other groups. I mentioned the teachers from the union who were part of ongoing discussions. We reached out to librarians, counselors. I mentioned some of the departments that we reached out to for their part in the puzzle, to, uh, counselors. We also had a group of what we called expert groups who were really former blended learning specialists, and we, we picked their brains for ideas. And so it really began with that process of reaching out to ideas and coming back to the kind of the core team to refine the ideas based on that input. And then the plan sort of developed from there. You know, something I'm really curious about is um, where were you all kind of getting direction from? Was it coming from um, the San Diego County Office of Ed or like directly from the state or how did that happen? 
Yeah, I think we, even now, we constantly are keeping our eyes and ears open to inputs and ideas. And the county has been one source of that. They definitely have helped gather people to think through distance learning and, and beyond. We get input from a lot of sources at the state level. Capital Group is sort of a, I'm not sure how I would describe them, they're, uh, if they're a legal entity, but they take state guidelines and policy and sort of interpret them for school districts. And And Dr. Janney would get those and forward them. And, and uh, those kind of resources, uh, Hanover Research is a company we've worked with for years in Sweetwater, and they would constantly be sending us sort of uh, summary guidelines that are being created based on work across the country. So ideas came from everywhere. I know some ideas, people, some of us get ideas from Twitter and social media and blogs and uh, other more established uh, educational platforms like uh, EdWeek and uh, Education Next, et cetera. So ideas, uh, and, and you talk, you know, this general concept is about creativity. And I think one of the beliefs I feel strongly about creativity is that ideas can come from anywhere. And I mentioned yes. how we reached out to so many different areas or, or facets of our organization. We didn't want to just rely on the usual suspects. I think the more we reached out to people, the better our plan got, as we heard diverse points of view, uh, people whose perspective was different from ours, whether it was a classroom teacher, um, a counselor, a librarian, et cetera. So I think we need to constantly do that even now. And, and I, I think about where we're at currently in distance learning. Um, we have a weekly survey that's going out to students and one that will s- soon go out to parents uh, because we need to hear from their perspective, like how are they experiencing distance learning so we can yeah. learn from what's working and, and make it better. How would you, you said where we're at in distance learning. So based on your perspective, how would you summarize the state of distance learning as it currently exists in Sweetwater? Um, so I think it's fair to say, like just about anywhere in the country, that we're, we have people experiencing it uh, in very different ways. Families that might have had resources, strong internet access, and poor family support uh, are experiencing it one way, whereby those who uh, don't have internet or weak internet or poor device or a broken device or complex family uh, dynamics are experiencing it very differently. So whatever I say is based on, on, on averages, right? And those averages vary greatly. So what I feel like we're at right now is that we, we've got pockets of teachers who are really well prepared for this beforehand and, and have practiced these skills and therefore are delivering really high quality work already. And other teachers who have just, just started this and are doing their very best and still struggling to figure out the best way to design instruction to be effective. Uh, and so I'm really, my perspective is that this is a great chance to just experiment and test things out and learn from what's working and what's not so that assuming we're going to continue to do some form of distance learning in the new year, which we probably are, how can we just get better at it? Um, so I think that, is a summary of kind of where I think we're at and and where we need to go moving forward. I really appreciate what you're saying about experimentation because I know as a teacher um, and you both are teachers and so you can relate as well. uh, We tend to 
have very, very high expectations for ourselves. Like when we develop uh, any sort of learning experience or opportunity, we want it to be perfect. We want it to go exactly right. Um, And when something goes sideways, we get really upset. And I'm thinking that in this context where you have all these different levels of preparedness, readiness for doing it, um, to be able to say, hey, I'm experimenting. And in this process of experimenting, I'm learning and we're all learning. Um, To me, that helps me kind of relax and breathe a sigh of relief that I don't have to be perfect at this. Yeah. One of the things that I'm also thinking about is one of the things you said earlier, Dan, about the ideas can come from anywhere. I don't know if that's usually how education operates. I think that the speed with which and the willingness with which we're willing to entertain ideas from all different sources has been a big part of being able to make the progress that we have made. And to be clear, as you also mentioned, Dan, there are still issues, right, with access at the moment, which is really, as we know, just a, um, it's just the same inequities that have existed before being magnified in this moment. And so, of course, we know there are, there still continues to be equity issues with access, but I just think about how we're operating so differently. Like we usually, the way ideas, I mean, I, I feel like education as an, just an institution in this country seems to be a bit impermeable to ideas unless like there's like this, I, I don't know how to exactly explain it, but you know, the idea of getting something off of Twitter and using that to run your school, I feel like that's not usually how things work. And so I don't know, Dan, if you have anything to say about, do you think that based on your experience, having to bring so many people together, you know, getting ideas from wherever you can get them because, hey, this idea works. Have you, like, do you, does this feel different to you? Yeah, I would say it does feel different. The, one of the things I've noticed in the month or so that we've been in this, and I noticed it within a couple of weeks, is that collaboration across the district for me personally increased uh, 20-fold. I worked with people um, daily and, and in detail that I had never worked with before within our district. So right away I saw um, some unique collaborations and in-depth collaborations that had not happened before, which is kind of odd. As we're social distancing, we were collaborating more closely. So I do think, though, the, the, the bigger question about whether education is open to outside ideas is absolutely uh, a challenge. Um, I'm not sure that we're unique in, in organizations. I think every uh, field tends to be insular, but we would benefit from being more open to... Uh, other organizations, other fields of study. Um, I think one of the things leaders and learners need to do is read. And I advocate for that wherever I'm at because you need to read outside your field, not just education books. There are things we can learn from. Read fiction, read business, read history. Um, All of those fields can get us to think, think about creativity and think about our problems in a different light. So um, I, I've seen this has been an opportunity for us to do that. The question, of course, everyone's asking is when we, when this is all over and, and uh, we're back to normal, will we revert back to our old habits? And uh, hopefully we won't. Hopefully we'll take what we learned that was good in this and apply it and, and that which we learned which 
didn't work and leave it behind. Uh, but we'll all have to be able to kind of monitor that when we get to that point. You know what? You're making me think about how and this this is funny. Um, dear listeners, you if you've been in education a while, you, you, you'll recognize this conversation. Um, we talk a lot about being siloed, being in silos, you know. Yeah. Um, if, when you're on a school site, you're siloed into your departments and you kind of don't uh, talk too much about uh, grading or curriculum beyond your own department. And at the district office, the same thing happens. You know, you're very involved in the work of your department and you, you know, you, you might connect with other departments uh, when random needs arrive. Um, arise, but mostly we don't. And so what's interesting is here, this pandemic has done what we haven't been able to do, even though we wanted to, we've talked about it. We, we don't want to be siloed. And here comes a pandemic that says, Hey, which granted <laughs> the pandemic will break down all of your little silo walls because you have to work together now. And I'm thinking about if, there are these relationships that are now being created. Like you were saying, uh, you know, I'm working and collaborating with people I haven't worked with and collaborated with before. And what happens is you end up creating a relationship with that person, with those people. And then the collaboration continues because you want to continue the, the relationship. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's where we're, we're kind of missing some pieces, right? I mean, we want to collaborate because of the skill or the content or the knowledge or whatever, but really what drives collaboration is relationship. And once you have established a collaborative relationship that is, that is feeding you, nurturing you, um, giving you ideas, building your creativity, then you want to continue that relationship. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I've met so many smart people that have been toiling away uh, in anonymity for a while, or maybe they've had their own circle of friends and colleagues they've worked with. But uh, all of us have seen that there's plenty of talent out there in our district and, and outside our district that, that can benefit us and nurturing those relationships to, to create a better educational uh, system for our kids is absolutely uh, going to be uh, something we should tap into as we move forward. Yeah, that's, that's really exciting. Is there, I'm also thinking about, um, is there any example of a particular solution or like some, some kind of problem solving that had to happen that particularly stands out to you over the last month? Um, I, I think, um, several things, one that comes to mind would be the, the help system we created, uh, we obviously had um, some formal help systems like IT's ticket system, uh, which is quite robust for the technical issues. And then we uh, had TOSAs who were outside the classroom with the ability, district TOSAs, to support people for curriculum. But in the, in the survey I sent out to teachers, I asked them, would you be willing to offer your help uh, informally if in an area that you had an expertise in. And, and I had almost 200 teachers in that survey say, yeah, I'll do that. So we have this wow. level of support that teachers said, yeah, you can send my email out and here's the things that I, if somebody had a question on, I could answer them. And uh, that was a homegrown uh, addition to our support system that I think hopefully has been helpful. I know we've, we've adver advertised that and, and I know of some teachers who have 
responded that they definitely have been reached out to by others. So yeah, that was one that was born out of necessity and, and seems to be helpful in some ways. I think that, you know, again, just from my vantage point, I, I noticed that I just, I had this feeling of, it just seems like so many people around the district are stepping up and being given platforms, right? Being, being given that space to offer their expertise. And then, you know, I think that it just makes me think about how when people know exactly how they can contribute to a situation or know that their expertise or their contribution is valued, people step up. And so when I saw that list that was sent out of all those teachers, I was like, wow, like people are really trying to, you know, support each other and pull together during this time. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like, you know, when the one message the, the teachers union group had stated earlier was, listen, just make tell us what the goal is and we'll help you get there. We'll help all of us get there. And and I've been thinking about that a lot, that as we plan for 2021 and beyond, that our task should be to make the goals extremely clear and the ability to accomplish those goals flexible and open. So that allows for that creativity. If, if you have a 20-point blueprint that includes every step that everyone should take, then yeah. you sort of cut off the ability for anyone to use their judgment uh, to, to be creative. And so it's a suffocating experience. I think, you know, it's, it's, it devalues the, it, it devalues creativity because for me personally, I know that when I'm told to do something in a specific way. I'm like, okay, so you don't value my intelligence. Um, or like you said, my ability to judge my professional judgment about a situation. Um, and so I think that that, I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, in our work, when you think about, um, addressing equity challenges, you need fluidity, uh, because there's different needs that need to be met in different places. And you need a lot of creativity and fluidity to be able to meet those needs. Um, and so when I saw the goals, I like, I was so happy. I thought these are, these are perfect. And I really appreciated how, you know, our own social emotional wellness was number one, uh, because if that goal is is yeah. not being met, then how are we going to do everything else? Yeah, agreed. Um, and and when you talk about those goals, I think about how they came to be, especially as it relates to good creative process. So that was very iterative. You know, we had some ideas initially. We throw, threw them out to some of those groups I mentioned to you. We got feedback. We modified. We revised. And those goals were massaged over several iterations. Um, so I just think about how can we be creative moving forward? And we need to have those processes of, of iteration and feedback. Uh, one of the best books I read on both leadership and creativity is by the CEO of Pixar movies, Ed Catmull. And he describes the way they make their movies in Pixar, which one could argue are one of the most successful movie studios ever made. Every one of their movies just about becomes a hit. And and they yeah. have a very robust process of feedback. And first of all, it's a safe place. Like we talked about earlier, experimentation right now, and, and there's, no, there's yes. no fail. There's just try and learn. And so initially when ideas come out, they're very careful with those ideas and they try not to 
destroy them before they get out the gate. But once they have a pretty solid idea, they, they go into what's called a brain trust session. And in that brain trust session, the people in charge of the idea allow other people throughout the organization with different expertise to critique their idea without any ego. And, and they encourage critical and detailed feedback. And, and then the team that hears that feedback, they're responsible to go back and make changes or not. But, but allowing that sort of iterative feedback and, and openness to critique helps us build ideas that, that can be truly effective and long-lasting. Right. And that safe space that you're talking about is, you know, something we also aspire to create in the classroom. You know, we're talking about creating a restorative classroom. Uh, that's what we want for our students. We know that for them to experiment intellectually, um, they have to feel safe that they're not going to be judged harshly or shot down or embarrassed and shamed uh, for trying something new. And that doesn't change just because we get older. You know, in fact, maybe yeah. the older we get, we, we probably need safety even more because we're really sensitive um, to being critiqued. And so I, I really appreciate that that's um, forefront on uh, the minds of our team is how do we create safety for people when they're feeling really unsure of what they're doing? Yeah, I think for leaders too, we've got to really make sure they understand that that mentality. I remember when I was at a school back in elementary time and uh, I encouraged my staff to try things and, and experiment, especially with technology. And I went into one class where a teacher was using a shared Google Doc for the first time totally did it wrong. Kids couldn't access it and just total flop. So I used her as an example of exactly what I wanted to see in school, in classrooms. And I said, this is a, this is a success because she tried it out and yeah, it didn't work, but that's how you learn. And so I, I know she greatly appreciated that. And other staff could see that I was serious. You can try things out. This is not a failure. This is how we learn. And the next time she became quite adept at that tool and, and began to share it with her colleagues. So we've got to create that space where experimentation is okay. The question is, what, what do we learn from it and how do we get better? Yes, agreed. I think that there's going to be, you know, before we started recording, Dr. Winters and I were having a conversation about the prediction business that's out there, right? People trying to say, well, in six months is probably what it will look like and, you know, and so on. Oh, and Yeah. Ugh. It's hard. It's it's still hard to make. It's hard to make that prediction. I think that's just a summary of our conversation. But I think that who knows what's going to happen, you know, if schools do return back to in quotes normal, whatever that means. But I think there's going to be certain experiences that were had during this time, like, you know, for example, experimentation and, you know, collaboration and supporting each other. And we're going to go whatever when this is over. Or, you know, I, I don't I don't feel like saying when this is over is kind of not really correct. But when we go back to something closer to what we had pre-COVID-19, we're going to be wondering. <laughs> transition into whatever the next thing is. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true, Lon. It's so true. It's Yeah, it's whatever the next thing is, you know, whatever world that is. The next version of reality. <laughs> I think I think a lot of us are going to be like, wait a minute. You know, we had a taste of collaboration. We had a taste of experimenting and failing and that being totally okay. 
I just wonder if people are going to take that and be like, wait a minute, you know, why you don't we have one? more of this? We had a taste of not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> let's not, let's not take that into post COVID-19. I, I agree. We can leave that one at home. <laughs> yes. I did mention some things we want to keep and, and learn from. Uh, if you want to talk. So. I don't know. For me, it's a success. <laughs> All right. It's been an awesome episode. Um, really enjoyed uh, talking to Dr. Dan Winters about uh, creativity. So dear listeners, that brings us to a question for you. We would love to know um, what's a creative solution that you and your colleagues have come up with during this time. I'm sure you've faced some really unique and interesting challenges and had to uh, figure some things out on the fly. And we would love to hear about it. So give us a call and leave us a voicemail message. The number is 619-719-5095. All right. We'd love to hear from you. So fill up our inbox. Yes, please. So as we do, we're going to do quarantine quirks to lighten up the podcast a little bit and maybe make fun of ourselves. And uh, perhaps some of you out there could relate to some of our stories. So quarantine quirks is just funny things we've noticed about ourselves or any situation. So would you like to go first, Lauren? What's your quarantine um, quirk? Yeah. So it's like quarantine quirks slash quarantine confessions. Quarantine <laughs> confessions. I wonder where this is going. I, I mean, I'm going to change my name to Snacky McSnackerton. Because I cannot stop snacking. It is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Like, I seriously have strong words with myself. I talk to myself out loud, like, you need to close this cupboard door right now because you're done. You're fine. You do not need another freaking snack. Maybe you should, maybe you could do a little lock system with a fingerprint that, you know, I don't know if you've seen those locks where. I need like a time vault, right? Like it's only open for five minutes. <laughs> I feel like you're not alone in that struggle. I feel oh, like I know I'm not. I I know that girl. I'm on I'm on Zoom. I'm on, I'm on Google Meet. I know for real that I'm not alone in that struggle. And so Every- like my dog is in heaven because I'm like, we're going for a walk. We're going for another walk. <laughs> we gotta uh, work out all these snacks. I know. It's like just easy access. And then you're like, well, you know, it, it, there's not much to do. So snacking is, I mean, one of the options that exists. I'm a habitual snacker anyway. So once again, the quarantine <laughs> amplification magnification effect uh, is really getting to me. Mine is my quarantine quirk. It's not necessarily a quirk. It's just a new experience in the life of lawn. Oh, wow. And that is that I am a huge foodie, as Lauren knows. I mean, the yes. conversations I can have about food go on for way too long. How many Yelp um, reviews? Many, many, many. And my my critical analysis of why this restaurant is good versus why this one is not. Yeah, and there are uh, charts. There's charts and slideshows, everybody, just so you know. Yes, I do have a Google Sheet um, where I keep my <laughs> star ratings. <laughs> and I, I'm just really great for food recommendations. So I'll say that. But, uh, you know, given all the restaurant closures, um, 
You know, some of my favorite spots are not accessible or, you know, the takeout experience is just not, it's just not great. It's not because by the time it gets to you, it's like womp womp. Yeah. Like the condensation has caused like a little mini food sauna and then it's all soggy. (laughs) I go like, okay, wait a minute. Food sauna. It's a food sauna. That is amazing. That's yeah. going right into my bank of terms. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, it is just it's just not as good, right? So that's kind of motivated me to um, do some things I wouldn't normally do. So one of them involved. So I I love oysters, and I I don't think there's any place that's going to do to go oysters. I girl, I can't even envision a to go oyster. <laughs> I know it sounds kind of gross. So I figured out how to procure oysters and I'm so like, I'm missing, you know, my favorite spot so much that I went and I, I bought, I found oysters and then I started hunting around because it turns out you have to have an oyster knife to actually open the oysters. <laughs> so I'm over here hunting for uh, an oyster knife. And I'm like, this is like the COVID struggle, just like looking for really random things. And so I was shopping And I'm sure a- Amazon is like, uh, girl, oyster knife is not essential. You can go ahead and wait till December. Hey, but you're, you're getting to the spoiler. I actually ordered one and it came like a few days ago, but oh, I had a bag. Wow. I, had, I know I had a bag of oysters with no way to open them without ruining my knives. So I went from store to store trying to find an oyster knife. Didn't work. So then I had to call my mom who lives in National City. And I was like, mom, I'm in a desperate situation. I need an <laughs> oyster knife. Because <laughs> my mom actually used to shuck oysters for a living. So I'm like, she's got to have one, right? So here I am in the car with my bag of oysters. <laughs> <laughs> you brought the oysters to the knife. Okay. This is serious. This, this is really is, serious. It's getting a little out of hand. This and is like an oyster 911. <laughs> this is an oyster emergency. Um, and so then I'm like driving, you know, with oysters in the car to my mom's house to get the oyster knife so that I can drive 25 minutes back to my home and try to shuck the oyster where I fail to shuck the oysters. Wait but a luckily, minute. Why did you bring them with you if you didn't shuck them there? Because I, I was at the store. I was already at the store. Oh, okay. And so I was, <laughs> I was at the store and I was driving around and I was like, oh my gosh, I need an oyster knife. <laughs> and so then I had to drive after looking at the store. I had to go and drive down to National City, get oyster knives, and I can go back to my house so I could have freshly shucked oysters. Lord. Look, in the end, I got what Mom I wanted. Is like, there's only so much suffering I'm willing to do, people. <laughs> uh, no, actually, there's quite a bit when it comes to my favorite food. It's to the point where I'm trying, I'm like starting to like look up how to cook certain things. And I think this is actually going to really impact my life forever because now i know that i can shuck oysters at home easily pretty easily i didn't do them i made my partner do them but um, well well, it was like hey i it it can get done it is possible and i don't have to think about the possibility of takeout oysters (laughs) that have been in a food sauna Hey, oh my gosh, I love that. It's it's the new it's the new it's the new life. It's the new 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 pandemic new lawn. And uh <laughs> new lawn involves more cooking skills and ability to prepare a wider variety or figure out how to get it done on behalf of myself. Uh variety this is of lawn 2.7. 
She shucks oysters, or at least she Two makes points. other people do it. <laughs> this is this is lawn after the firmware update of COVID. So that's our quarantine quirks. Mine went on for a bit, but uh, okay. So, um, and so just to end, you know, kind of back where we started, uh, we pulled a quote from uh, one of the best authors um, in American history, and that is Kurt Vonnegut. And he said, we have to continually be jumping off cliffs and developing our wings on the way down. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. We'll see you next episode.